This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. This afternoon we're going to be talking about making a name for yourself. As I think about this topic, I think it's obvious that we as humans have a desire to be known in some way or, or perhaps to be famous. And there's a, a various number of reasons of why that is. Sometimes it's uh, more money that you can acquire for yourselves, for yourself. Sometimes it's power, having influence over others. Or maybe it's just the fact that people know who you are. I think social media today uh, makes this fact uh, more well known than it ever has been before in that people will try their hardest to go viral and, and be known for something. And I come from a small town about the size of Wheeler, and in a town this size, it's pretty easy to make a name for yourself, and that can be for good things or from, from doing something that uh, isn't so smart. And perhaps a better question is, how will you be remembered in this life? Will you even be remembered at all, say, in 150 years? We know that time continues on, and, and long after uh, we're gone, we may not be remembered at all. And so we'll take some time this afternoon to, to think about this topic and, and look at what the Bible has to say for it. So we, we've seen this name making, a, uh, or this phrase, making a name for yourself quite a bit. And usually I think of it in a negative context. And, and usually that's whenever uh, somebody gets their name turned into, ver into a verb and said, well, he really pulled a Seth on that one. And you've made a name for yourself in a certain way. Um, we know people who have, who have made a mark on the world and whose names will be remembered for a long time for good and bad reasons. When I say the names Abraham Lincoln, Adolf Hitler, and Steve Jobs, they all bring to mind different things that those individuals have done. Some good, some bad. Some, one has changed the way that we live our lives on a day-to-day -day basis with the uh, technology that we have. And you may think of it as like a new boss coming in and putting his foot down, making a name for himself. And when I think of making a name for yourself, I kind of think of the Guinness Book of World Records. And it's easy to see that from some of the crazy things and, and records that people will do, that people are doing just weird things to get attention. And so I found some of the, the strangest ones. We have Lee Redman, who uh, grew her fingernails to 28 feet long. And I'm not sure if that's total length or length of one nail, but... I mean, it's gross either way, right? Uh, the world's tallest mohawk was achieved by Joseph Grissomore at 42 inches, a little over three feet tall. And the longest cigar rolled was 268 or 295 feet. I've got a difference here in my notes. I had a great uncle who always said he wished he had a cigar that reached down to his toes. He, he loves smoking cigars, so maybe that would have been something up his alley. And then I also found that there's a record for most single-hand claps in a minute. And if you don't know what a single-hand clap is, it's doing this real fast. So people will, will do crazy things to make a name for themselves. But the thing about these people is we don't really know a whole lot about their character. You know, these, these world record holders, the things that they did doesn't say a whole lot. Some may argue about that if you grow your fingernails out. Maybe you have some more serious issues, but... We don't know uh, a whole lot about these, these people's character. But as we think about making a name for yourself, I'll ask the question, who do you think is the most famous person to have ever lived? We'll talk about the answer to that 
come later, but I want us to be thinking about that as we go through our study. Proverbs 22 and verse 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. This is a familiar verse that, that many of us may know. And it shows us that it's not just having a name that everyone knows, but it's what's, what's attached to your name. It's about the reputation carried by your name. When someone uh, utters your name, do people have positive thoughts or think of the good things you've done or maybe think of the evil things you've done? And so it's, it's not just about uh, having a name that's known. It's about what goes with that name. If you're just a name with a, without a reputation, all you are is a fun fact, like our Guinness uh, World Record holders, uh, uh, an interesting statistic, if you will. But if you have a bad name with a bad reputation, well, then nobody trusts you. You're not going to have any influence over other people, and you won't be able to affect other people's lives in a positive way. And for us as Christians, that, uh, that goes a long way. You know, long ago, people would actually duel to the death to defend their name. And, and that was the value that they put on their name being trustworthy. But if you have a good reputation, people will follow you. People will be drawn to you. And they're going to respect and trust you. And then that will allow you to have influence other, uh, over other people's lives. Allow you to have influence as a Christian. And so to uh, start our study uh, today we're going to go back to the book of Genesis like we were this morning and we're going to see two different stories who went about the task of establishing their name and these two groups did it in completely opposite ways and so we're going to uh, use those to uh, provide a framework for our study today and look at uh, the two approaches that we can, uh, can take when we endeavor to make a name for ourselves. So in Genesis chapter 11 uh, verses 3 and 4 we come to the story of the Tower of Babel. And these individuals uh, were gathered in one place and they were trying to build a tower that reached up to heavens and they were uh, trying to establish independence for themselves. And so it says this in verse 3, They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole earth. So these men uh, had an intention behind their goal of building this giant tower. And one of those was, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's make ourselves great. Let's build ourselves up so that everyone will know who we are. And as I look at this approach, they were going to do it their own way, to do it in the way that they thought was best. And so there's three things that I identified from this that, that we can point out. So number one, they were establishing their independence from God. They're going directly against what, what God had uh, commanded mankind. They were staying in one place and, as opposed to scattering out over the earth and populating the earth. And so uh, they were establishing their independence from God, going at it their own way. The second thing we see is that they were driven by pride. God says in, of these individuals, uh, um, this group, with them all having the same language, there's nothing that they won't be able to accomplish. And so they had this mind that, that they were going to do something great, that they were going to build this tower that, that connected heaven and earth so that they could be gods themselves here on earth. But we find out that this ended in destruction. Verses 8 and 9 says, So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. 
And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. So as they went about trying to establish their own name to make themselves great, God came down and confused the language, and, uh, and it ended in destruction. And they failed in their goals, and they failed in their goal to, to make a name for themselves. And so all these people dispersed from the city, and uh, this tower was, was left um, without being completed. Now, the very next chapter in Genesis, I think it's extremely intentional. We get a contrast to making a name for yourself, and we see uh, God as he comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house and the land I will show you, to the land, to the land I, that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So look at the contrast here. This very next story, God comes to Abram and says, I will make a great name of you. It's through me that everyone will know your name. And it's through me that I will bestow this blessing on you to where your family blesses the entire earth. So the first thing that we see here in contrast to the uh, previous story is that this is a result of God's will and purpose. God had a specific purpose in mind, uh, in mind for Abraham. As he comes to him, he is telling him he is going to make him the chosen nation, the nation that will eventually bring Jesus Christ into the world. And so God up, lifting up Abraham was a result of his plan for mankind. The second thing is, is this is moved by humility and obedience. And so after God calls Abraham away from his homeland, Abraham leaves and he, continue, and he starts to follow God. And he follows God's commands. He follows God's instructions. And so from Abraham's faith, we see in Romans that it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so it only happened through Abraham's humility and obedience. And number three, this ends with exaltation and glorification of God. So Abraham is in our Bible and he's praised for his faith today because he followed God's plan, because of his obedience. And God was able to complete his plan through Abraham because of his obedience. And so we have the framework here of establishing a name for yourself or allowing God to establish your name. And so I want to take a look at, at three other pairs of individuals and contrast this idea and look at these other examples. So first, we're going to look at Saul and David. As we mentioned before, those who were building the Tower of Babel were driven by pride. And we see that as we look at Saul and his life, he was constantly doing things for his own benefit with no regard to others. In 1 Samuel 18, verses 9 through 10, it says, And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. It's kind of funny as we read this, Saul is extremely pouty. He, he's feeling sorry for himself. He's like, what else can he have but the kingdom? It's basically David's. And so Saul, we see, just becomes sick with pride and fear of his kingdom being taken away from him. 
And every decision that we see Saul make, he's constantly making decisions out of fear. He's making decisions uh, about keeping his, his role as, as a king. And it's sad to see that every one of these decisions ultimately drove him further and further away from God instead of bringing him closer to God. And from here on out, Saul continues to make poor decisions. And eventually we see that this ended with Saul dying in battle. And so he uh, chose to exalt himself, to try and lift himself up, to try and eliminate David as a challenge to his kingdom. And eventually we see the kingdom taken away from him. And that kingdom was given to David. So in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, it says, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So this comes after Saul makes one of his poor decisions. He chooses to attack the Amalekites and offer a sacrifice without waiting for Samuel. And it's at this point, because of his disobedience, because of his, uh, every time he makes decisions out of fear for himself and, and not uh, taking God's word into account, the, the kingdom was taken from him. And this was to better serve God and better to serve his people. And so David is chosen. And it says that David uh, was a man after God's own heart, one who followed after God's will, one who constantly deferred to God and his decisions and his plan. And so we too must allow God to use us a part of his plans, not puff ourselves up with pride, to not think it's about us, but to be about accomplishing God's will and his goals for us. And we see that David accomplished this through his obedience and humility. You know, David had multiple chances to eliminate Saul. There's two occasions where he could have killed Saul, where he could have ended all of his trouble. But he chose to wait on the Lord. And it's because of David's obedience and, and that he uh, constantly chose to, to follow God, to wait on, on his will, that we know David's name and we know the reputation that follows it. So the next two I want to take a look at are two more kings, Nebuchadnezzar and Solomon. In Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he has a dream about this great tree that is so large that all these animals can shelter underneath it, and, and it provides for these animals. And uh, along comes, uh, I guess, a lumberjack of sorts and chops the tree down, or an angel, I believe, actually. So he's very troubled by it, and whenever it's interpreted to him, he's, it's told, Nebuchadnezzar, this tree is you. And you can provide a, a great deal for these other nations, for your kingdom. You can be the shelter and, and place of rest for others. But if you choose to not honor God and exalt him, you're going to be chopped down. So uh, a little bit later, in chapter 4, verses 28 through 30, it says, And all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox in seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. 
So Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that his rule was given to him by God. And it was only through God that he had this power. As I think of this, we often believe we're in charge of our own destiny. That we're in charge of of the things that are going on in our lives. and, And we're reminded by this story that it's only by the will of God. And it's only by the will of God that, um, that we are uh, given what we have. And we ought not to think that the things that we have in this life are not because of his blessings. We contrast him with, with Solomon. And we see that as we look at Solomon, we cannot be part of God's plan without obedience. And so a contrast is that when Solomon becomes king, he humbles himself before God. And so in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 1 verses 10 through 12, Solomon is praying to the Lord as he is uh, becoming king over Israel. He says, "Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people, for who can govern this people of yours which is so great?" God answered Solomon, "Because this was in your heart and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, and have not even asked for long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as the, the kings had who were before you, and none, shall have, none after you shall have the like. So as we see Solomon come before God in prayer as he is uh, taking on the role of the king, he comes before him and says, This is a great task. I don't know how to properly judge your people. And so I need wisdom and knowledge that comes from you. And we see the humility that that Solomon uh, took on. And so he humbled himself before God and before his will. And because of his obedience, because of his humility, God gives him these things. And not only that, but he blesses him uh, beyond just having knowledge and wisdom. He gives him riches, possessions, and honor. And we see that in the beginning of of Solomon's reign, he he really had the right attitude in in waiting on God and and for his plan and waiting for his blessing. The last pair we're going to look at is Simon the sorcerer and the woman anointing Jesus in in the book of Mark. In Acts chapter 8, we're introduced to a a man by the name of Simon. And in verse 9, it says, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria saying that he himself was somebody great. So Simon here is a a magician or sorcerer and he uses his tricks and and magic to wonder the people and he's doing it to puff himself up and say he's somebody special. He has these special powers and he's doing that to uh, make a name for himself, to grow his, his wealth and then as they, uh, the apostles and, and disciples come through Samaria, they encounter uh, Simon, and Simon is converted. But then we get the story down in verse 18. It says, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. So as a former sorcerer who's thinking about how he can further himself and and make himself great, he sees 
this gift that the apostles have and thinks, well, maybe that's a way I can get ahead. And he offers them money for it. And Peter is, is downright disgusted here. He says, your silver's going to perish with you. And he warns him of the trouble. If you continue down this path, there's terrible things in store for you. If you continue down the path of exalting yourself up and trying to buy your way and gain more wealth and, and power, bad things are going to happen. And so, uh, fortunately, Simon prays for forgiveness in this. And so, again, we see someone who is going about it his own way to create a name for himself. We contrast him with this woman in Mark chapter 14. So this woman comes before Jesus and she has the, this expensive ointment and it's just before his death and she begins to anoint him. And she's being scolded saying, oh, we could have taken this ointment, sold it and given it to the poor. And so we pick it up in, in verse 9, or excuse me, verse 6. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body before, beforehand for my burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. This woman saw the importance of what was sitting right in front of her. She saw that she had Jesus the Messiah there. And I guess somewhat understood what was, uh, perhaps she understood what was ahead for him. And he uh, exalts her for that and says, she's doing what she can. And it's amazing to see that her story is now preserved for us. And what did she do? Well, she humbled herself so that she could exalt Jesus or lift Jesus up. And in turn, Jesus does the opposite for her. And it's interesting that in this account, her name's not mentioned. I mean, from other uh, gospel accounts, we have an idea of who this was, a pretty good indication. But here, Mark makes it a point of her name is it's not actually mentioned, but her story is told. And so we see that the importance of this is that she lifted someone else up. She served somebody else. She served the Messiah. So as we look at these two different approaches, we see that as a Christian, that if it's God's will, he will make our name great. And what we see from our last example, we, we uh, can be reminded of Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. When we humble ourselves, we can accept that it's not about me, but it's about other people. It's not about the things that I want to do or, or making myself great, but it's about exalting God, about exalting Jesus Christ. And that's the, what uh, this woman was, was showing us. It's all about the glorification of God. So we talked about it at the beginning of our study, but who's the most famous person to ever exist? I think we all know the answer is Jesus of Nazareth. It's the greatest name on earth. But how did Jesus do it? Was it by him using his power to subdue his enemies? Was it by ruling with an iron fist? Was it by exalting himself up? No. It was by taking on the form of a servant and becoming a servant for all. Mark chapter 10, verses 44 and 45. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life 
a ransom for many. As Jesus teaches about being great in the kingdom of God and his disciples come to him and, and have this question, he, he tells them that if you want to be great in the kingdom, you've got to be a servant to everyone else. And Jesus lived this every day. And we see this throughout the Gospels, that he used his life to serve others, to heal the sick, to make the blind see, and to ultimately lead him to the cross, the ultimate act of submission and service to others. He took that all the way to his death. You know, people often talk about God's plan for their life and and that God may want them to go in a certain direction or take a certain job. You know, a lot of times people use that as an excuse to make things work out in their favor. But I want to tell you this afternoon, if you want to know God's plan for your life, start serving other people. Start serving your fellow man. Start serving Jesus Christ. And if that job or that that move that you're thinking about allows you to do that better or in an equal capacity, then go for it. But God's will for your life is so that you can serve him and serve others around you. So go out there and serve. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Je- at, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we look at Jesus and his life, Jesus' moment of exaltation and, and him taking the throne was when he was on the cross, being lifted up and being put to death. We see that Jesus lived his life in complete obedience, in complete service to others. He lived his life as a servant. And now, because of what he did, what he accomplished for all of us, he has the greatest name, the name above all names, worthy of our praise and our honor. If Jesus has the most important name, then wouldn't you want to share in that name? And isn't it important how we carry the name of Jesus? As a Christian, we represent the best person to ever live. And so we too must not live in pursuit of our selfish ambitions, but service to others. Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27, For Christ, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We bear the name of Christ, and if we have put on Christ, then that's what people should see in our lives. When people hear my name, the name of Jesus should be attached to that. When people see me out and about, they ought to be able to see Jesus and the glory of God in the things that I do. And we think oftentimes about taking the Lord's name in vain as as only a a way that we use uh, the Lord's name in in the sentences that, that we say. But it's more than that. It's more, more than that in the fact of how we live each day, how we carry the name of Jesus with us. And we need to be a good representation of Christ. And when we're a good representation of Christ, we'll see that he will lift us up. Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So Paul's talking about all the things that he would have to be boastful for or uh, boast of in life. He counts them all as dirt, as trash when compared 
to the knowledge of Jesus Christ when compared to knowing Jesus Christ. So in the proper perspective, anything that we can do for ourselves and any fame that we can acquire is nothing compared to the glory found of being in Christ. And if we wear the name of Christ, then we will be a part of that resurrection on the final day and inherit eternal life. And so as we think about uh, the subject for today as we close, in the end it doesn't matter if anyone remembers my name. I heard just this past week that everybody dies twice, once when you physically die and the second time when your name is last mentioned. And you know, as we, we read through the Bible, we know that time continues on and it's likely that in 150 years nobody's going to know who Seth Pinkerton was. But if my name for some reason gets glorified and, and lifted up, that's great, but it better have the name of Jesus attached to it. And I think that's a goal that all of us can have. And so the greatest thing that we can do is share the name of Jesus with others. And whenever we do that, we submit to God's will and we exalt the name of Jesus, that's going to have a longer lasting impact and good than we could ever do on our own trying to make a name for ourselves. I'm reminded of a song lyric that says, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. And so our focus should be lifting up Jesus. Our focus should be allowing his name to shine. And if we bring his name to other people, we'll have a greater impact than we could ever have trying to make our own names great. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.